Hi, it's Tony. On today's show, we'll talk with Binghamton grad Evan Drellick. We'll also talk about sneezing in the NFL with Jason Lockenfora. And Jeff Ma will talk about a really bad beat from last week. But first, commerce. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance, too, with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Previously on the Tony Kornheiser Show. You know, Michael saw it, so I felt really good about that. I wasn't sort of inventing it. Now, did you celebrate by going to IHOP and getting a short stack? No, I did not. Oh, it's not your birthday. (laughs) No, it's not my birthday. No, I. but I made money again. So, like, I made $15 on the day. You threatened to quit PTI so you could continue making money on the tour. Yeah, I thought if I quit my job and I could make $15 a day, I'd be very happy. The Tony Kornheiser Show is on now. So I think it's fair to say that there's a lot of self-indulgence by me on this show, but maybe not quite like you're about to listen to. (laughs) What I'm going to do now is the most self-indulgent thing, much more so than even how good I played on six holes at at Rehoboth. Um, As everybody knows, I am a graduate of Binghamton University. It was Harper College when I went there. It was the State University of New York when I actually graduated, and it's now Binghamton University. And like a lot of schools, they have a quarterly magazine that comes out, comes to my house. It's addressed to Dr. Tony Kornheiser. There you go. Doctor, because they gave me that honorary degree, honorary doctorate in humane letters. And I look through it. I always look through it, you know, just to see what's going on, see what professors have won awards, what students have won awards, if there's any new building on the campus, if, you know, if there's a scandal of sorts. And I'm reading, I go through it, and I get to this, I get to page 30 and 31, and I see um, a picture of Evan Drellick, who is with, I believe, The Athletic. Now, we'll get, to, we'll get to Evan in a second. And it talks about his book, about the Houston Astros cheating, and I read the first sentence, and this is the first sentence, as Binghamton Sr., Evan Drellick, 09, interviewed one of the university's most famous alumni, Sports columnist and ESPN TV host Tony Kornheiser, 70, literary degree doctorate, 17, in the offices of the Pipe Dream student newspaper, as a Binghamton senior, he did that. Fast forward nearly 15 years to June 2023, the roles are reversed, as Kornheiser is now talking on his podcast with Drellick, now a senior writer for the Athletic Sports website about Major League Baseball and bankrupt regional sports networks, along with Binghamton area favorites such as Speedy's and the Dick's Sporting Goods Open Golf Tournament. Do you mind if we call you back at some point, have you back on the podcast, Kornheiser asked at the interview? I like you. When you're doing journalism, <laughs> particularly sports journalism at Binghamton University, Tony Kornheiser is someone who's going to loom large, Drellick says. 
He's a representation of you can make it out of SUNY B and go very far. To this day, I look at him with reverence. He is a sports media fixture. Well, that's nice, sports media fixture. You know, that's nice. So I go, my God, what is this? So I say, let's get Evan on the show. And so we've done that. That was very kind of you to say. I guess I was, you know, I'm sure you feel the same way if you're just like casually looking at something in a doctor's office or, you know, on a bus and you saw your name there and it was involved in a quote, you would go, what in God's name is this, right? Right? Yeah, I'm telling you, look, who do we have? We have Flo from Progressive, one of the Baldwin brothers, you. And, you know, if you're in the lane, you know, I I didn't want to be Flo. I didn't want to be Billy Baldwin. (laughs) I wanted to be Tony Kornheiser. I wanted to be on ESPN. And it was the coolest thing when when your name would... uh, pop up on the television down in the student paper office, you know, and, and I told you last time, I, I, I was thrilled and honored to finally have the chance to, to talk to you, you know, waiting for, uh, waiting for just a little, a little reach out. And, and I'm glad to be back. I think that the honor is mine in this particular case. And, you know, I do, I think you're right about Flo, the Baldwin brother. No, if you're not Alec, no, stop. No, it's Billy. He was a wrestler at Binghamton, right? He was a wrestler. Yeah, I think that's right. That's right. We couldn't even get the premier Baldwin brother. Not knocking Billy, but... You not, know, no, that, no, not, because there's four of them, and they've all done pretty well. But I think Alec, although Alec facing criminal charges now, not the best place to be. So tell, tell people what you're doing right now. Where are you working? What are you concentrating on? Yeah, I, I am uh, in a hotel room in Phoenix, Arizona, where the general manager's meetings for baseball uh, just wrapped up here, and uh, everybody's kind of running through the hills because there's some sort of stomach virus going around, so the final day of the meetings is oh. today, and they actually just canceled it. Uh, but I, I'm covering all the off-the-field stuff in baseball, so the lockout, the commissioner's office. The, the Houston Astros cheating scandal was the biggest thing I've done. Um, but basically, everybody's mess. I'm in, the guy in charge in baseball uh, of writing about it. Every, everybody else gets to go to the games and you know, eat the hot dogs, right. write the, the green grass and, and, and how great this guy's slider is. And I'm the guy who goes home during the World Series uh, to go comfortably write the, the messy story in my hotel room where I don't have prying eyes around me. So it's an interesting job to be the guy covering baseball, but not actually covering baseball. I'm covering everything about baseball except the game itself. Do you know Mark Feinsand, who we have on a lot? Do you know him? Oh, very, very well. Oh, yeah. good. So he was the first person I told him, uh, about coming on today. Oh, that's wonderful. Oh, that's okay. That makes me very happy. Now, the book you wrote is called Winning Fixes Everything. And you mention in the story that it, it's been optioned for a movie. Do you have the ability to write? Have you ever written a screenplay? And do you want to write the screenplay? And will they let you take a shot at it? You're being, you know, you're being a good reporter here because I snuck that in there and there hasn't been an announcement about it. I, uh, I am not going to do a screenplay. If it gets done, it, it is true that there is a company that has bought the, the film and TV rights to the book, which is unbelievable. You know, I, I, it, not everybody who writes a book gets to that point. Um, you know, I could barely write for a newspaper, for a website. I have no idea how to put a screenplay together. If you know anybody, please pass it on. But, um, yeah, they, they would find somebody competent, and, and they're talking to some people who are very, very competent, and look, you know, maybe something gets done. I, 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 it's not something I ever could have fathomed, I'll tell you that. So this is an interesting thing, because many years ago, 
probably as many as 50 years ago, there was, that sounds about right, 45 to 50 years ago, there was a, on the cover of when there used to be magazines, real magazines, on the cover of Esquire, which was the trendiest, most progressive magazine in the world at that point, not necessarily literary, but trendy, there was a picture of a monkey. And the caption was, everybody's writing a screenplay. And it was a monkey at a typewriter. <laughs> and I was young enough then to think that I could write a screenplay. But I tried. I couldn't. I, I could maybe come up, Evan, with a character or two, but I couldn't come up with a plot. And I was not, you know, I was not a novelist either. Just because you can type well doesn't mean that you can do all sorts of writing. Um, I had the opportunity once to do an outline for a screenplay uh, and, and, you know, nobody particularly liked it and I didn't like it because it really stunk. It wasn't any good. And so it's, it's sort of refreshing to hear you say that you don't think you could write it either because I know I couldn't write one. Well, you know, it's funny. I was talking to Ken Rosenthal, right? Basically, yeah. our, the premier baseball writer out there, uh, right alongside uh, Jeff Passon, who's also a very good friend. Yeah. Uh, and we were talking about you yesterday. And, you know, he said rightly that everything you write is hilarious, that, that the entertainment level, it, it, it's, you know, you were doing journalism, but um, it, it really kind of rose to a different level of, of, of comedy and just you, you'd walk away kind of rolling from it. And, and that's surprising to me that when you are that style of writer, the screenplay wouldn't work. Now, I, you know, when I was in Binghamton, I worked at the local paper, The Press and Sun Bolton. I had this really gruff, editor and, and, and multiple but the, the one in particular and they just beat the crap out of me you know it was all about ap style and you know get the facts out there right away and it took me a long time to actually get my voice back a little bit and and kind of express myself because they, they just wanted the the short concise newspaper old school style of writing and you know to actually kind of create and hold on to the voice the way you have you know, a, I would think that would translate to a screenplay. B, yeah. it's just so hard to do. Um, writing funny is very hard, and I always got a lot of help from editors who would tell me this is funny or that isn't funny. Um, being funny comes naturally, but that doesn't mean you're always funny. Actually, TV is sort of easier to be funny on than writing because on TV you can actually do it with your own voice and you can do it with a wink or a nod, and you just do it once. The mistake people make is to try to do four lines like you do when you're writing. You just do one on television, and it seems to work. And my entire goal and half the shows I do is to make Wilbon laugh because he's so angry and grumpy all the time. <laughs> I just want him to laugh and so people can see his true personality. Have you? Have, do you want to do... Television? Do you want to do audio stuff? I don't even dare call it radio anymore. Are you happy with writing? Because I was really happy with writing, and this thing just came out of the blue. So the worst, you know, I, I don't want to torpedo any uh, future uh, job offers here. Yeah. The worst job I ever held by far was a TV job. Oh. Uh, I, I really found it unsatisfying to do these, you know, 30-second, one-minute hits about the Red Sox bullpen. It was the same set of questions day yeah. after day. And yeah. at the same time, I, I had a radio job, it was a part-time radio job, uh, but it, it almost, almost became full-time. I, I chose to go to the athletic in, instead of staying there. It was the WEI in Boston. Oh. And that I loved because 
you get a chance to actually, as you and I are doing right now, yeah. have a conversation. And, and, and you engage directly with the listener, with the callers, but you can make the elaborate point. It, you know, it's writing, uh, and, and you can kind of get to the same points you would make in a longer column, a longer feature on the air. And I just couldn't do it on TV. It, it, was, just, it was just so unsatisfying to me. But, you know, I, I, I didn't have the, the talent or, or really even the format uh, of a PTI, but you know, you yeah, our show, our life. show is so wonderful in that regard that it gives us, even if it's only a minute and a half or two minutes, it gives us a certain amount of length and freedom that you don't have otherwise. You just don't. It's, I mean, it's the construct of the show it's worked so great for us, and it's yeah, done I'm for a million really, years. I think, I think the sk- there's a skill in delivering it quickly the way you guys do. I, I need a little. I need a little bit more of a wind up. The pitch clock's not good. I, I just need a little <laughs> more time to go through these things. Do you like working on The Athletic, and how do you feel about what the New York Times did? You know, certainly anybody in journalism, right? Anybody in Binghamton, you want to be Tony Kornheiser. Uh, anybody in journalism, you want to see your name in print in The New York Times. And so that is a cool thing. Um, it, it's not the way I imagined it. I, I don't think anybody at The Athletic was actively rooting for the sports department that was already in place to go away. Yeah. And for those people um, to be dispersed to other departments where they may or may not still do some sports stories or or sports adjacent stories. Uh, Overall though, look, everything is shrinking. There's nowhere to go anymore. You know, I break the Astro story with Ken, Ken Rosenthal. Um, You know, I think that that happens 20 years ago. You get a line of newspapers at your door yes. saying, hey, why yes. don't you come, sure. come do that for us? Uh, it just doesn't exist anymore. Where do you go to do that kind of work? And you know, the New York Times is still the New York Times, and we are by far, I think, the biggest ship in the sea. It, just in terms of the sheer number of sports writers that are employed at The Athletic. I, at the GM meetings here, we took a picture yesterday. I think there were 18 of us. You know, it, it's, it's kind of the last thing standing uh, and I really hope it does continue because if it's not the athletic, where the hell are we going? Well, it's, I, I, it's, it's such a different world than the world I came up in. I saw the ladder. I saw it rung by rung. I climbed as high as I could. That ladder does not exist anymore, right? It just does not. Doesn't. No, 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 not, not even close. It, 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 the, the, the pathway to getting onto be, everything has changed. The structure by which you climb and where you can climb. You know, there would have been, there would have been magazines, maybe not Esquire, but uh, it's just the, the destinations have disappeared, and it's sad. I mean, I, I have friends who were recently let go, who are ta- wonderfully talented writers, and, and nobody's out there you know, saying, hey, we, we will pay you a reasonable salary to do this for a living. And then they just end up getting different jobs, and that's the world, that's capitalism, yada, yada. It doesn't mean it's not uh, too bad. No, it is too bad. Evan, thank you so much for being on. Thank you, and thank you for the nice things you said about me in the article. And and best of luck at the Athletic. And hopefully, somebody will make a, there'll be a good screenplay about you know winning fixes everything, and you'll get rich. Rich is fun. It is. It's fun. <laughs> Thanks, Evan. Step. Thanks, Tony. We're going to get you a copy of the book. I'm going to get that. In thank you, board. Evan Drellick, boys and girls. We will take a break. Um, Jason Lock and Fora. When we return, I'm Tony Kornheiser. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. 
where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews, or coverage of all the biggest stories in the NBA, our new show is the place to be five days a week. Download and follow Beyond the Arc on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you get your favorite podcasts. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua, and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter, and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film, and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. NFL update from the best in all the land, but have the Kleenex ready, waiting in your hand. The buildup is intoxicating. His words begin to stammer. A tickle in each nostril will interrupt his yammer. Is it COVID allergies or flu? Not sure what his disease is. All we know it stops the show and locking for a sneezes. All we know it stops the show and locking for a sneezes. As he breaks down all the teams and the ones they will oppose. All that I can think of is what's coming out his nose. When he runs about the bears, he runs out of air and wheezes, but nothing holds a candle to and lock on for us sneezes one two three four look here comes some more five six seven eight the jets critique will have to wait i'm not sure of his favorite food i'm guessing that chinese is and that's a thing i think about when locking for us sneezes that's a thing i think about when locking for us sneezes the muslims have muhammad the christians pray to jesus but me i find life's meaning when locking for us sneezes me i find life's meaning when locking for us sneezes me i find life's meaning when lock on for us sneezes <laughs> that is the brilliant Dan Byrne wow. who writes this. <laughs> Lyrics by none other than Greg Garcia. How great is kindly that? sent to me by Greg's cohort, Aaron Greenberg. I'm in Colorado, so I was able to record this with two of my old bandmates, Colin Mahoney and Brian Shea. Dan Byrne. And that's in honor of Jason oh sneezing goodness. last week. And I have to read this intro, and then I'll ask Jason what he thought of that. We're joined by Odyssey NFL insider Jason Lockenfora, host of the Odyssey original podcast in the huddle, covering the entire NFL. You should be flattered beyond am, comprehension. Oh, my God. This is another high point in my career. I, that is, I, I'm not worthy. I feel like I should say Opa or something like that at the end. Like it's, I'm very inspired. I'm ready yeah. to face the day. And I'm conflicted and torn as to whether I should – Try to sneeze or not? No, <laughs> no, no. Like, um, I, I, true, like full disclosure, I have not yet taken today's Zyrtec, and now, now I'm in my own head, and I'm not responsible for anything that comes out of my nose the next nine minutes. My mouth, yes, but my nose is on another plane. So this is something that's very important. You know, most people, most radio shows or podcasts or whatever these things are, would have, yeah. of course, excised all of that. And sure. would have stitched it differently, and nobody would have heard the sneezing. Post-production, I think they yes, call it. Yes, but this show doesn't do that. Ride it out, baby. No. <laughs> yeah. If you're going to sneeze... Tony, you know what you do? You keeps it real, brother. That's <laughs> what I love. It. <laughs> pretty much it. And then for Greg to write those lyrics, which are brilliant, Amazing. and Dan Byrne to immediately write the music, it's just... No, it's beyond flattering. That's really um, good. It's really good. And, and, and now, I guess... I let you down if I don't. Uh, no, you don't have to say. <laughs> so you we'll sneezed. Say. We've archived your sneezing. We can okay, call so it back right, up. Right, 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 right. You could just throw those. We have up. it. All right. Okay. We have it. Don't Sounds worry about good. it. Let me get to some football. Sure. 
if I'm not mistaken, and I think I'm not, the Thursday night game tonight is the Chicago Bears against mm-hmm. the Carolina Panthers. This is maybe the worst game ever put on <laughs> national television. I get the rationale when you when you put this together. Mm-hmm. You got the number one quarterback pick, number one overall pick, Bryce Young, the kid from Alabama. You got Justin Fields, who was a very high pick and looks looked like before he got hurt, he might be pretty good. He's out. You this game is so terrible, right? It's bad. I hope that Al Michaels has a lot of action on this game tone. Otherwise, he might not make it through halftime. He might just leave the booth and just, you know, a personal protest as to this is beneath me. Um, You know, I'll be back next week. We'll try again. You know, Baltimore, Cincinnati, that's more my jam. Herbie, you got this one. You know, maybe get one of the guys like Tony Gonzalez or Richard Sherman from the studio set and bring them up there and let them call the game because this is not up to Al Michaels' standards. Um, yeah, I don't really know what to say about this one. Uh, it'd have been more interesting if Justin Fields was playing, but sure. he's not. Nope. And the Panthers have like 25 guys on their injury report, including, you know, Brian Burns, their most interesting player on defense. I mean, I, I really like the props in this game, throwing to running backs. Tone, if that does anything for you, I think 14 and a half for Chuba Hubbard. I think he goes over that. Miles Sanders, 10 and a half. Uh, maybe Bryce Young pushes the ball down the field a smidge more because since they changed play callers in Carolina, um, you know, some of, of his uh, – he's completing a few more down downfield passes. But this is what it is, man. Um, the only person for whom this game is important is Wilbon because Wilbon needs the Bears he to win. To lose. Wilbon needs the Bears to win to keep Carolina in the race for the number one overall pick, which the Bears own from last year. I got you. Yeah. Yeah. So he needs the Bears to win. I would laugh so hard if Carolina won this game. (laughs) I just would. I'd just open the show just laughing at him. It's not out of the realm of possibility. Like, it's, it's, I mean, I would probably back the Bears here, but it's really, it's really hard. You know, them laying points to anybody, you're kind of like, yeah. So it it, it leads Uh, me into something, and I've felt this, and I I don't know that I've ever felt this before. That as I look at the NFL now, there are so many bad teams. I listed them. You can disagree with anyone you want: Bears, Panthers, Giants, Jets. Washington, Colts, Packers, Titans, Raiders, Buccaneers, Rams, Cardinals, Patriots, Broncos, Vikings. Half the league is bad. Falcons? You didn't say Falcons. I didn't say Falcons. Should I say Falcons? I think the Falcons are are definitely, well, I mean, they did lose. I'm not saying it because they just lost to Minnesota. Right. To a quarterback who just got there 30 seconds ago. Yeah, Josh Dobbs, Dobbs, yeah. But, But I do think Minnesota's defense the last, since week four, has been pretty solid. Like, and they're still winning games without their starting quarterback. But Atlanta's a joke. Atlanta's so, defense has fallen apart, which was inevitable. And Atlanta doesn't believe in having a quarterback, which is, I mean, it's a very interesting. The way Arthur Smith has gone about his coaching career, basically going out of his way to field teams without a starting caliber quarterback. I mean, it is, it's an interesting approach. I'm not sure it's going to lead to job security. Um, yeah, there's a lot of bad quarterbacks. There's a lot of injured players. There's a lot of bad offensive lines. There's a lot of bad play callers. Um, I mean, you didn't like Pittsburgh's a winning football team, but they're a bad football team. Right? I mean, go, they're go five judge and three. Their defense yeah. by 
you know, by yards per play allowed and go judge their defense by a lot of the common metrics. Now they buckle down in the end. They don't give up a ton of offensive touchdowns. They're, they make big plays. But in terms of their play-to-play production as an offense and a defense, it's atrocious. They have a great coach, um, and they find ways to win. And they've been great in one-score games now for about a calendar year. And they're probably going to the playoffs. But, like, would I look at the Pittsburgh Steelers and say that's a good football team? Eh, probably not. So, yeah, I mean, even the Cleveland Browns who have a winning record, if you go and watch their games, they're dreadful. I mean, somehow they beat the Colts 39-38, you know what I mean? But that game was a joke. I mean, people wanted to throw a parade when they beat the 49ers. I mean, the 49ers' backup kicker, 49ers were, were getting decimated by injuries, and their backup kicker missed a 40-yarder. Otherwise, you know, the Browns lose that game. Like, I, I, I don't know, man. Um yeah, I think there's a lot of bad football out there. So this is what I wanted to get to. <clears throat> Not only is there a lot of bad football, but teams that we thought were really good are faltering, and I'll give you two. You could add Miami if you want, but mm-hmm. the 49ers and the Bills are faltering. And I, you are plugged in. Is there any sense in the league offices that this is bad and we need to do something? No. Okay. No, I mean, because those teams not hitting their highest notes keeps other uh, – look, we just talked about this. not even an underbelly of the league. It's the, it's the league. The underbelly is the good teams. Like the, yeah. the belly, like, like the beast itself is the bad team. So the more the underbelly underperforms, the, the more of those terrible teams you keep viable or That's remotely right. viable. That's right. So, no, I, I think – I think they're perfectly fine with this. Like, I don't think they want super teams. I think, if anything, it probably makes it even more ridiculous. Like, how did Belichick and Brady do that thing? Like, how did they host, like, 15 AFC championship games, whatever the hell it was? Like, how did that happen? Like, that's not how this thing is set up. That's not how we want it, you know? We, we want everybody to get their bite at the apple so they keep their fans, you know, drinking from their teat, even though that teat has, you know, nasty sneeze-filled milk in it, you know, five of every six years. Like, I, I, I don't think they have any issues with it whatsoever. I, I, think, I think they're <clears throat> perfectly A-OK with it, and they're probably thinking when we go to 18 games and make this more of a marathon for everybody, it'll even it out even more. You, thank you for mentioning the Patriots. Is Bill Belichick's future in doubt in, in New England? I don't think it's in doubt. Um, I think there's... Um, at least people I talked to in the league believe there is now, um, you know, complete clarity, which is he's not going to be coaching or running that football team next year. Really? Um, now this idea that he's really? coaching for his life this week, I, I don't, I don't right. buy that. What I, I, I don't believe that's how this ends. You know, that Robert Kraft, you know, fires him on a plane back from Germany. I, I you know, color me a wave, but I don't think it goes down that way. Um, but I, I think both of these sides, it's become increasingly clear to them. I wrote about this in the Washington Post probably a month ago. And even then, there were a lot of signs to people who know these guys that, like, this thing is going, they're going, they're two ships parting. And whatever contracts say and whatever was talked about from lawyers six months ago or two years ago or whatever is going to go out the window because Robert Kraft's going to know he needs to chart a new course um, on a rebuilding franchise with a 72 year old head coach, no matter how great he is probably isn't the guy to run that like he used to. And I think Robert Kraft's going to know that, you know what, I'm, nobody's winning a whole lot of games in New England anytime soon, and Father Time's undefeated, and if I'm going to, you know, catch Shula, I'm probably going to have to do it someplace else. 
So, hmm, doing it in Hallis Hall, that might be kind of cool. Or, you know, he's already weighing his options, and trust me, by the time this ends, Bill Belichick will have a very good idea. He'll be, he'll be spending a, a lot of mental energy the next eight weeks or whatever is left in this season figuring out and plotting and planning and having people plot and plan for him, you know, the two or three spots that he thinks are the best match for him. Um, I don't think he's being traded. I don't think there's going to be a long, protracted process here. I think he's going to have a pretty good idea of where he wants to be and who wants him. And I think he'll be somewhere else uh, by the end of, by probably the middle of January, by the end of January. You believe he will coach again? He will coach next year? Well, I, I think he'll run a football franchise. You know, I, I mean, could there be some scenario that's out there where they offer enough other stuff, including, you know, propping up his son Steve Belichick in some huge role, whether it's coordinator or whatever, but somehow Belichick's not the coach. I I don't know. I mean, I I think he'll keep a fairly open mind about getting to some place where he can win and win relatively quickly and, and not have this idea of, you don't. You're an average guy without Tom Brady hanging over him anymore. And I think he he might like again keep a fairly open mind yeah. about that. But ultimately, do I think he's on the sideline? I do. Okay. Plug your radio show for us. Uh, you can listen to me uh, yap and yammer and sneeze. Um, <laughs> although I think I say most of my best sneezes for you, Tone. And the future will absolutely do so. Now I feel like it's almost a covenant between us. Uh, from two to six weekdays uh, on Inside Access. In, in Baltimore, which is an Odyssey station, and you can listen to me every week on the In the Huddle podcast. Oh, there, that's my outro. You don't have Odyssey. to do that. I'm yeah. doing that. Oh, you've got that one. I've covered. got I that. Thought, I thought it might have flipped through the cracks, Tone. No, so I didn't want to. Uh, you know, I got your back, homie. Thank you. Um, yeah, <laughs> and then read me in the Washington Post if you don't mind, and you can listen to me talk about gambling on Sportsline and make my picks there. Fabulous, Jason Lockenfora, boys and girls. That was Odyssey NFL Insider Jason Lockenfora. Make sure to follow In the Huddle on the Odyssey app or subscribe wherever you get your podcast. Jeff Ma, when we return, Carville's taking the week off. He had a bad week. We'll mention that. He wants his own walk-up music. We're good with that. <laughs> I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is the Tony Kornheiser Show. This song is called Memphis Freeze. The artist doing it is Tony Lepson, and this comes from Ronnie Newmeyer. It's Last Waltz season again, and this year we're doing two nights of Newmeyer Flyers' Last Waltz tribute at the Hamilton. The shows are this Friday, the 10th, and this Saturday, the 11th. 30 terrific DC-based performers will be playing all of the songs from the Last Waltz, plus we'll be doing a special tribute to the late Robbie Robertson. One of the singers is Tommy Lepson, who has a brand new album out called Almost Gone with guitarist Tom Principato. And this song is called Memphis Freeze, which is wonderful. It's pretty good. We always thank Ronnie for Absolutely. turning us on to people. Michael, if people like Tommy Lepson want to send us their original music, how do they do it? Send us your music by emailing it to jingles at TonyKornizershow.com. And again, TK Pecan, active at johnnyo.com. TK Pecan, active through uh, their Black Friday sale. So you can check out that quilted pullover Tony had his eyes on. I mm. did, in fact. Um, okay, so Carville, uh, Nigel, what happened with Carville? Carville had a bad week. He was one and six. Yes, but he's still thirty-six and twenty-nine. He's still having a fantastic year. Yes, um, 
So he, he has he, no picks. He no, well, he copped to having a bad week. He said it was a miserable week, but he said, but part of the problem appears to be his walk-up music. <laughs> so he asked for some very specific walk-up music, which we have ready for him. Yeah. Um, but then I guess he's traveling out to the West Coast and wasn't able to join us. Okay. And I was waiting for picks, but I have none yet. I, I, okay. I'm guessing I will get them tonight. Uh, after the games are over. <laughs> right. All right. So uh, Jeff joins us. Jeff Ma joins us of Bet the Process, and I have something to read. This week's picks, picks with James Carville and Jeff Ma are brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. <clears throat> Make every moment more. Uh, the first thing I have to ask you, Jeff, because I was watching this. Everybody who gets red zone was watching this. They were watching both Josh Dobbs and C.J. Stroud in the literally in the last seconds of their games throw touchdown passes to win the games. In the case of Stroud, it was touchdown pass with 22 seconds to go to lead Minnesota to a victory over Atlanta. And in the case of Stroud, it was with six seconds to go to get enough points for Houston to go ahead of, who did they go ahead of? Was it Carolina? Tampa. No. Who Tampa. was it? Denver? Tampa. Tampa. Oh, Tampa, that's okay, right. Okay, right, because it was, right, because, what's his name, Baker Mayfield, did not get a chance to do anything after that. So they, they go up by two. Stroud is going to be the unanimous rookie of the year. Leads them down the field. They go up by two. And they don't, they have no kicker. That had happened earlier in the game. We realized they had no kicker. But they don't attempt to run a play. They take a knee. Normally this wouldn't matter. But the spread, why don't you discuss what, the spread was two and a half. So discuss what that meant. Yeah, I mean, the spread was three or two and a half, two and a half. depending on when you got it. And, um you know, I was actually kind of like following the game. I was trying to be a good dad and drive my kids around. and But I'm following the game, and I'm saying to myself, man, even if they score the touchdown here, which was pretty unlikely, right? Because yes. they got the ball back with less than a minute left. And I don't think any timeouts. Or they, made a, they had two timeouts, I think. But so that, this is unlikely. But the worst part is, even if they do happen to do this, the chance that they actually kick an extra point are almost zero. So the options are they take a knee or they maybe go for two. Now, the problem with going for two is that... You can fumble. If you, if you fumble, right, then the game's tied if they run it back, and it's just not really worth the risk. I, I so agree. The right decision, honestly, for them to do is take a knee there. So, you know, as a better, you feel like that's unfair, but also you have to understand that that's the right decision ultimately. So I, I tend to not get as mad in a situation like that as I would in a situation where the coach is doing something that I think is like non-optimal that leads to that poor, poor result. I was watching that and I always keep track of everybody who's got that game and you had that game and Carville had that game and you both had Houston minus two and a half. And I went, Oh my God, they're going to lose. I mean, and, and, if you have a kicker, I'm not even sure you kick the point because you risk the something wrong in the snap, right? I mean, w- do you think they no, would have I mean, kicked? I think, if, I think if you have a kicker, you probably do because there's just no there's, – there's much less chance of something wrong happening. And ultimately, there's, they still have some time where if you, if you throw a bomb and there's a pass interference – Yeah, they, they get, get another shot. Yeah, so I mean, I think you probably, in a normal situation, would you know, with 
with six seconds left, with, with one second left, probably not. But with six seconds left, I think you probably still do uh, kick a kick the extra point. Okay. All right. Um, I was talking just before you came on with Jason Locke and Fora, and I was pointing out there are so many bad teams this year, more bad teams than I ever remember. More than half the league is, in my opinion, bad. Do you think that people are tanking? And if they are tanking, would you never bet those games? Or would, or would you jump on those games? It's a hard one, right? Because I think the quintessential team right now is the Patriots, where they're doing some strange player personnel stuff when their secondary guys not playing and um, generally like not playing some of their better guys. I don't know. I mean, the tanking in the NFL has always been a little bit of an interesting question because, you know, last year you had Houston in a situation where they clearly should have been tanking and they, they, they ended didn't. up winning. That I mean, it, it just hasn't historically been something that teams have done in the NFL. But this year was such a great quarterback class coming up and, and all these teams really needing quarterbacks. I don't know. I mean, I think the, the narrative around tanking will probably precede the value, meaning like, I think that the market will tend to overreact to the idea of a, a team tanking. I mean, New England is an underdog this week to Indy in in, uh, in Germany, which is a surprise for sure. And it's an indication that they think that people think that New England really is. And, and New England is a team that people have always historically said would never tank because of Belichick's too proud and Belichick does believe he still wants to win games. Some of the interesting teams like uh, Carolina or some of these teams that don't even have you know, first round picks, um, there's no reason for them to tank. So, and, you know, you would think that they're not going to like Bryce Young is, is their quarterback ride or die for a while. So it, it, it's a, uh, it's a hard question. And I think it's, will be one that'll be interesting to watch for sure. I mean, if you compare it to the NBA where teams clearly tank, Always. Um, those lines get huge and Always. out of whack because these teams are, are, are clearly tanking. But the thing is, once the games start and the players play, no one's not trying to win at that point. It's really just positioning themselves where the players on the field are not the right players. Okay. All right. You were three and two last week. You should have been or could have been four and one. You're three and two, twenty two and twenty seven overall, making the climb back. What do you got for us this week, Jeff? We're gonna take Jacksonville plus the three over San Francisco. Um, I'm a little surprised at this line. I think that maybe it's a general thought of the crowd that San Francisco off the bye week um, is going to get healthy. They're going to get a lot of their guys back. They got Chase Young, et cetera, et cetera. But Jacksonville's been a very underrated and a very good team this year. And at home, plus the three, also coming off a bye, I like them. Okay. The value there. I'm going to take Houston plus the seven over Cincy. Um, Cincy clearly is now everyone's kind of darling to win the AFC. Burroughs, you know, clearly back. They really dominated Buffalo, but, um, you know, seven points, they're a little bit beat up at the skill position since he is. Um, I, I think Chase didn't practice last week and T Higgins is dealing with something. So I think ultimately, you know, getting the full seven here, um, against Houston, a team that, um, plays well on defense generally didn't play well last week. Um, but obviously the CJ Stroud, uh, hype is in full effect. Okay. But you think Cincinnati take- will win that game, right? Yeah, I mean, I okay. think ultimately, yes, they will. But I think seven points in that situation okay. is, is, is too okay. many. Um, I'm going to take the Chargers plus the three over Detroit. 
Um, really? Detroit's a good team, for sure, but on the road um, against a Chargers team that's defense is playing really well, and I think they'll be able to put some points up against the Detroit um, offense, uh, sorry, defense. I mean, I, I think ultimately, like, you know, Detroit is a good team, but getting giving three on the road is still a lot, and I think it's a perception that the Chargers don't have that big of a home field advantage. Obviously, right. some people think they have no home field advantage, but home field advantage is more than just the fans in the stadium. It's the travel, it's the familiarity, on and on and on. So, I mean, the Chargers do have some home field advantage, and I think, again, Detroit giving three on the road is just too many. All right. What else? No, no, take Green Bay plus the three over Pittsburgh. I agree with you, Tony. Green Bay is not very good, but no. I don't think Pittsburgh is. I mean, this, there's the narrative that people – or there's the reality that people talk about that Pittsburgh's been outgained in every one every of game. their um, – Yeah, every game. Yeah, every game this year. And it's not sustainable – um, Green Bay played well last week and sort of got off their, you know, their defense played incredibly well off, obviously against a backup. But, you know, when you have a situation to get three against the Pittsburgh team that just doesn't score that many points, I think you got to take it. Okay. And you got we've another? Got, we've actually got that at, 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 Pitts, we've got that at Pittsburgh that? giving three and a half now. Oh, you got three and a half. Uh, okay, I'll take the three and a half for sure. There you go. Um, I'm going to take Michigan minus the four and a half over Penn State until further notice. You know, Michigan's a tough team to gauge because they haven't played anyone, but they've dominated everyone. And if you think about what we call priors, which is what you would think about them going into the season, you know, they returned pretty much everyone from a team that was arguably the, you know, the second best team in, in, in college last year. And so, um, you know, against a Penn State team, which until further notice, no I'm offense. not going to believe. They have no when, offense, when, Penn State. They're not going to score. I mean, they're going to score, yeah. but they're not going to score over 14 points, right? Right. Yeah. They, they, and they don't seem to play well against good teams, like the elite teams and so in the Franklin era. So I guess giving, giving four and a half of Michigan is, is something I'll take. We've, we've actually got that at four. So would you like Michigan minus four? Yes, of course I would, Nigel. Okay. So <laughs> now you get, yes, so you get four. Yeah, sure. You want it lower and lower and lower. Absolutely. All right. Who's on Bet the Process this week? We had a guy by the name of Mike Craig on. Mike is a professional better. Uh, he's been a you know, professional better for a long time, mostly focusing on college basketball and college football. We talk a little bit about um, the, you know, the way that you sort of look for early edges in college basketball. I don't know if you know it, Tony, but college basketball season has started. Yes. Started, yeah. It, we it covered. Binghamton court, covered. But... We went to Northwestern down 19 and a half on the line and lost by 11, so we won. Yes. Yeah, there was 131 games on Monday, and uh, we talked a little bit about where to look for edges in the early season, and what we talked a little bit about is how the odds makers can overreact to a few performances um, that may not be indicative of a team's performance, so kind of looking for overreactions in the first couple games. Okay. Thank you, Jeff. We'll talk next week. Thanks, Tony. Jeff Ma, boys and girls, this week's picks with Jeff Ma, because we don't have Carvel's picks, have been brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook. Make every moment more, and we will come back with email and jingle. I'm Tony Kornheiser. You're listening to The Tony Kornheiser Show.
My great thanks to Ronnie Newmeyer and Tom Lofkin for that, which always reminds me of the birds. I just think it's wonderful. Just think it's wonderful. Nigel, you want to do the Bethesda Bagel ad? Bethesda Bagels, we love them. You will as well. Just go to BethesdaBagels.com for the location in the D.C. area nearest you. Then pop on in and you will be thrilled. That does it for us today. Before we get to the mailbag, let me just say, well, I'm running down the road trying to loosen my load. I got seven women on my mind. For the one who owned me, to the one who stole me, one said she's a friend of mine. Take it easy. Take it easy. Don't let the sound of your own wheels drive you crazy. Lighten up while you still can. Don't even try to understand. Just find a place to make your stand and take it easy. That's one of the very early songs by the Eagles, and I think Jackson Brown has something to do with that song. I think he, I was, think he helped write it. Or he was starting to write it, and was <clears> like, <throat> I can't figure it out, and that's when and Standing in a Corner and Winston. And then, yeah, and then Henley and Fry. and Fry took over. Yes. Thanks to our guest today, Evan Drellick. Uh, Jason Lockenfora, Jeff Ma, thanks to our sponsors today. Remember, you can listen to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Play, and Odyssey. If you get the show through Apple Podcasts, please leave us a review. All right, <clears throat> this is from Jack Ferrone. I've been listening to your podcast for a number of years now, and one of the few constants throughout my time as a little has been your struggles from the bunker. My summer job growing up was as a caddy at a country club in Darien, Connecticut, a town over from Stanford, where I grew up. I live in San Francisco now, but as I look back on my adolescent years, I recall plenty of fond and frustrating memories as a caddy. One of the better memories came from playing the bunker game, in which you and your fellow caddy would have to pay each other a dollar for each time one of your golfers hit their ball into a sand trap. (laughs) Each swing attempt they took from the bunker was another dollar, and if they decided to give up and pick up, that was double. I'll never forget having to keep the straightest of faces as I held back tears of laughter watching my colleagues' golfers hack away in the sand over and over again, believing they had the skill to overcome a nine-foot bunker face. I share these fond memories with you and also encourage you to ask your caddies at Columbia if they've ever played this game while looping for you. Based on what you've shared about your experiences getting out of the sand, you would be what we caddies consider a whale. (laughs) Wow, because that means lots of money. Lots of money. All the best to you and your family as we enter the holidays. And as always, I'm looking forward to the next episode. From Jason Blazer in Lake Orion, 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 yes. Hello from the Mitten's hottest trending little city. I was telling the woman to whom I'm related to by marriage about your mention of Lake Orion and myself, and then the subsequently read email in the Lake Orion-centric email section. After placating, oh, that's nice, she said. He should come visit. She clearly knows you well. I told her we'd be more likely to mash the entirety of Lake Orion into your attic than to have you venture (laughs) to our little neck of the woods. So I will say if you would like the invitation stands. However, I will not be holding my breath. Isn't that nice? That's very nice. From Matt, <coughs> Matt Quigley in Galway, New Jersey, Michael, where you played. Galway. There are times too few and far between in which we can all collectively celebrate the uh, something. I, oh, this is it's it's not printed well. I've lost I've lost oh, all of, of the edges on this. Oh, I'm sorry. Um, we'll try it. Social media and partisan stances on every issue. We seem to have lost touch with the things that can bring us all together. I'm happy to share with you and your listeners one of those moments, hopefully be the catalyst of a more perfect union going forward. Gregory's and Summers Point trademark on Taco Tuesday and Taco Bell will now, oh, they settled, I guess, will now be allowed to use it for advertising. It puts a tear to my eye just writing it. I imagine the CEO of Taco Bell is channeling something. Neville Chamberlain of 1938 <laughs> waving a copy of the liberated trademark Peace and screaming, peace in, our time. peace in our time. It shows you there are things in the world worth fighting for. Next time you're in South Jersey and you want the freedom to munch on a $1 taco and celebrate the Taco Tuesday wherever you choose. And nothing is more American than that. After you read my last email on the podcast, Michael stated he was still haunted by um, losing a ball at the Seaview Marriott 
This is at uh, Galloway. At the, Galloway, yes. not Seaview Marriott. I suspected Ivy's. that the Yale people took it. <laughs> Hope you don't mind, but I alerted the proper authorities. Police tape now surrounds the 13th hole pending investigation. Yeah, left to the fairway, but not quite all the way to the uh, to the cart path. People are being brought in for questioning. I'll keep you posted on any developments. But in case you have any pictures of said lost ball, please forward and I will post it around the area. That's Matt Quigley in Galway. Are you playing Jersey. a Titleist? Yeah. Does it have pen on it? Did it have a pen? Yes, and, and the, the logoed ball became an issue when uh, off of a certain ninth hole, we found a certain team's... A Yale ball. A group of lost balls. Not a Yale ball. Oh. This school go unnamed. Okay. Mm. Uh, from the New York Times article, this is from Marianne Michaelakis uh, in Washington. It's about a New York Times article about Barbara Streisand, which I did read. She's, she Barbara Streisand has released... An autobiography. Really? Do you want to take a shot at how many pages it is? It's uh, an autobiography, Barbara Streisand. More than 20? More than 20. 940? <laughs> That's a big read. 940. That's a big read. I, I read the story in the Times the other day. This is a quote. But food is so ubiquitous that it's pro- practically a love of Streisand's life, especially ice cream. So when it's time for dessert at Streisand's, despite any choice you're offered... There's truly only one option, and that is McConnell's Brazilian coffee ice cream. She writes about it with an orgasmic zeal. Wow, there's more about coffee ice cream in the article. Wow. That's terrific. Streisand. Uh, John in Herndon. Your Blue Nile read on the podcast on Monday intrigued me. You said you could buy a goat online. I have a few questions. Where? Is there a build-your-own-goat option? Where would the, what would the packaging be? Would it say open soon on it? Information for life from Don Hammock in Biloxi, Mississippi. Sly Stallone has made a movie about arm wrestling. Has he ever made a movie about being a sports writer, columnist, or sports TV talking head? You still confident arm wrestling isn't a growth industry? I think it's not a growth industry. Over the top, I believe that movie. Is that what the movie was? Was was that with Dolly Parton? No, uh, no, it was not. He was in another movie with her, but that was not it. From Tim Cree, our friend in Fort Collins, Colorado. The University of Michigan staffer accused of flying to... Other Big Ten games to steal signs is named Connor, Connor Stallions. Question, is that the fake name he gave at all of the hotels he stayed at? Or is that his adult film star name? It sounds like the name of a guy who would make change for 100 singles at the bank. It, it certainly does. From Teak in Calgary in Alberta in Canada to Mike Winkler in Milwaukee. Fonzie's not sports related? He jumped the shark. That's pretty athletic, pal. From Elliot Olshansky. Ibita... Stands for Earnings Before Income Tax Depreciation and Amortization. You might think I learned this as part of my MBA studies at Fordham. And let me second Gary Van Giesen's sentiments on that Fordham-Stony Brook game. Although I'm still trying to figure out how the Rams lost to Salizas Hoyas. However, I actually learned it listening to 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Named for the 83 consecutive weeks in the late 90s when World Wrestling, World Championship Wrestling, which he won, beat the then World Wrestling Federation in the Monday Night Nielsen ratings. I guess there's more than one podcast out there that offers information from life. Best regards from Suffolk County, where I'd really like James Carville to stop picking college games involving New York schools, since it's illegal to bet on those schools in New York. Mm. And from Steve the Sycophant, <clears throat> in case you haven't been keeping track. Oh, we did this the other day. Well, no, it's, it's, wow. So this is different. It's a Hallmark channel. Remember he wrote about the Hallmark Channel the other day, and this yeah. is a different one. Just in case you haven't been keeping track of the Hallmark Channel, it's Christmas already up, they, already programming. Here are a few of this week's effort. For upstate New Yorkers, there's a Christmas detour in which two travelers become linked 
when a snowstorm grounds their flight in Buffalo. Second, take me back for Christmas. As a woman tries to win back a beloved husband after a Christmas wish, leaves her no longer married. And finally, Christmas with the Darlings, where a woman helps a charming man look after his orphan nephew and nieces during the holidays. The only way these epics could be improved would to be have all the characters stranded together in the Binghamton airport. Sure. With a rescue being affected by the fun-loving students of SUNY Binghamton. Happy viewing. But there is no Binghamton Airport anymore. Well, we'll have to build I one. I think they closed it. Snowed in the Sharkies. I think they closed it a few years ago. I, I, somebody needs to help me on this. I got the sense that there was no more Binghamton Airport, that they just told you to go out of Syracuse. Hmm. Um, there used to be a Binghamton Airport, but I'm, I'm not sure there still is. And, and if I could or just... Or maybe it was closed for renovation. Maybe it's open now. Is it I called don't know. Idlewild? Was that it? What? Idlewild? No, Idlewild was... No. No, Idlewild was LaGuardia. And by the way, if Kennedy. you're going to have a movie called Christmas Kennedy. with the Darlings, then Ron Darling, Ron Darling has absolutely to has to have... Ron Darling has to be in it, and my friend Lynn Darling, who I used to work with in the style section. Yes. She has to be in it. If you're out on your bike tonight, as always, do wear white. You know, they all get involved, and they all got their gear already, and so they're going to be all colored up in, uh, in no. the maroon and black. No. And no. NFL update from the best in all the land, but have the Kleenex ready, waiting in your hand. The buildup is intoxicating. His words begin to stammer. A tickle in each nostril will interrupt his yammer. Is it COVID allergies or flu? Not sure what his disease is. All we know it stops the show and locking for a sneezes. All we know it stops the show and locking for a sneezes. As he breaks down all the teams and the ones they will oppose. All that I can think of is what's coming out his nose. When he rants about the bears, he runs out of air and wheezes, but nothing holds a Candle two and lock on for a sneezes. One, two, three, four. Look, here comes some more. Five, six, seven, eight. The Jets critique will have to wait. I'm not sure of his favorite food. I'm guessing that Chinese is. And that's a thing I think about when locking for a sneezes. That's a thing I think about when locking for a sneezes. The Muslims have Muhammad. The Christians pray to Jesus. But me, I find life's meaning when locking for a sneezes. Me, I find life's meaning when locking for a sneezes. Me, I find life's meaning when locking for a sneezes. Well, it's cold down in Memphis. My baby turned the heater down. Yes, she did. For a little affection But Lord knows Nothing can be found Oh, how in the world Could you leave me When I'm standing out there In the snow I want to know How could she leave me Shivering out there In the snow But I'm praying for some change In the weather if it don't change, and I'm so got to go. Now listen, good music down on Beale Street. On the corner of B.B. King Avenue. Well, my baby turned back a thermostat. Now some love got the blue. Yeah. 
Southern barbecue. Yes, I did. Came all this way for some loving and a real good Southern barbecue. But when she hit me with that deep freeze, what the world am I supposed to do? Well, she hit me with that. 